Hello, it's Paul Scott here, a small caps investor, commentator and writer of the weekdays um, small cap value reports on stockopedia.com. So um, I was aware the sound last week was uh, sort of came in and out a lot. And what that was, it was me turning left and right to look at the different computer screens. One of them's recording the podcast, the other one I'm looking stuff up on. So I've moved the microphone. Hopefully the sound quality might be better today. So it's Saturday 11th of November. Um, Armistice Day, of course, isn't it? Uh, uh, So I'm going to get this done before... The uh, 11 o'clock minute silence or two minute silence, whatever it is. Let's hope it isn't disrupted by the sort of numpties who are, who are threatening to disrupt it. You know, surely we can have a bit of respect just on one weekend for um, all, the, all the people who gave their lives in the world wars and other conflicts. So, OK, what have we got here then? Just some general points then. Um, AIM is about 701. Um, It's up about 4% from the recent lows, but when you zoom out to the three-year chart, the recent rebound's been barely a blip, really. Still very firmly in a downtrend, and down 46% AIM all share is on the the high two years ago, when it peaked at about 1,300, so not a huge amount of change there. We had a strong rebound last week, which has mainly held... A lot of volatility this week, though, and we've seen some sparkling rebounds in some stocks. Um, Zoo Digital springs to mind. That's, that's I think, almost doubled um, in the last week or two. Partly, th- well, considerably thanks to the ending, what looks like, like to be the ending of the Hollywood strikes. Even so, I've been very bu- surprised by the strength of the rebound on that stock, because I think the company's got a lot to prove. So um, it's not one I'm particularly keen on on fundamentals, but well done to people who did a nice trade there and doubled your money. So there are opportunities to make money um, in bear markets, mainly more from short-term trades than um, buy and hold. I accept that. Now, I also looked at the fully listed small caps in Now, that's only down 25% from the peak two years ago, as opposed to 46% for AIM. And it's only down about 3% year to date. So I might have a look through the fully listed small caps index. I'm using SMXX, which is the small caps index fully listed that um, excludes investment trusts. Um, so, and I did wonder if I might be overstating my own outperformance on my spreadsheet because my list of 2023 stock picks is up 5% year to date, uh, with, um, that's 20 stocks with two takeover bids and five profit warnings. That's the same as before, but quite a few other stocks that have done very well. For example, Goodwin up 58%, Angling Direct up 50%. Reynolds up 36%. Then I had the two takeover bids, Rotala and BOTB. Um, Belvoir up 23%. Gleason up 19%. Volex up 14%. So there are lots of stocks that have done well within that list, you know. Then I've had the five profit warnings, Watkin Jones, Quiz, Sassandar, Port Merion and Wynn Canton. And all of those five profit warnings were all uh, more than absorbed by the outperformers. So that list is doing well. Uh, uh, and it's, I've said here it's 20% ahead of AIM, but maybe I'm, I'm thinking I might go through the list and work out which ones are AIM and which are fully listed and then do a blended benchmark. So, uh, it, I thought 20% outperformance seemed rather excessive. So I'm going to revisit that and come back to you next week. Now my runners up list is up 12% year to date because I caught two really good takeover bids and it was only 12 shares. 
uh, of which we've had two very good bids, SCS uh, 68% um, up year-to-date, and Lookers up 50% year to 56% year-to-date. And then also another car dealer is on my runners-up list, Virtue, that's up 54%. Is our day finally coming with that one? Cinch, I think, have announced a stake of or increased their stake slightly. It was only about 4%, though. Rather confusing um, holding in company announcement on that. So, yeah, overall, then, my... Um, <clears throat> My uh, portfolio is doing very, very well. Um, the, well, the published tra- uh, published watch list and my own personal portfolio is doing a lot better because I concentrate and I've concentrated into three big winners this year. So uh, all going fine with my own personal portfolio, which you probably don't want to hear because it's really annoying when so- other people say they're doing fine and, <laughs> and most people are struggling. So just see it in the context of the fact that I had a diabolical 2022. So I'm, I'm, I'm rebounding in a way from a terrible year last year. So I hope you don't resent me too much from having a a better year this year. Right, some just general points that I jotted down through the year. This is an ironic one here, really. I said we should have just bought bloody Bitcoin. (laughs) That seems to be uh, um, utterly ridiculous. Um, I mean, interesting technology. There are some niche uses for blockchain, without a doubt. But the whole, the actual value of the the tokens is, is nonsensical. They have no intrinsic value at all. And they're not backed by anything, whereas, of course, um, fiat currencies, uh, we're compelled to use them by the tax-raising powers of government. So that's the backing they have. Um, Absolute nonsense, Bitcoin and all those other things. But the bubble continues, doesn't it? And it keeps going up. Unbelievable. But anyway, look. It's doomed to to fail, and the sooner the better, frankly, because the energy consumption of these uh, blockchain things is an absolute disgrace for the environment. Now, central banks, will they, won't they? It's almost like a plot in from Friends, isn't it, with Chandler and, um, and, um, what's her name, (coughs) Uh, Jennifer Aniston. So, um... I'm very conscious of the fact that the, the, the central banks are saying we haven't felt the full effect of these rate rises yet. Last week, everybody was thinking, oh, that's it, you know, no more, no more rate rises. So, of course, Powell's now thrown a, a curveball in, hasn't he, and said we might have to raise rates again. That caused a bit of a panic on Friday. Look, what will be will be. I think, you know, I'm not interested in buying the whole index. People say, why, oh, why do you bother with small caps, Paul? You know, um, it's been a terrible underperforming asset class, and I expect it to continue. Somebody said that on Friday's small cap value report. And I thought, well, this is what most commentators do. They take whatever the trend is and they just extrapolate it out forever. But of course, you get mean reversion, don't you? So an asset class that's done really badly one year, quite often... And, and it is obviously oversold and undervalued, will quite often then be the best place uh, for the following year or two as, as, as it rebounds. So, um, and of course, I'm not buying the whole market. Um, my portfolio, as I've just demonstrated to you, my, my shares are up. I'm a stock picker. So I'm looking at this. I'm not buying the AIM index. I don't think you can anyway, because nobody can hedge it. But um, no, for me, it's just about delving into these maybe roughly a thousand companies at the mid and smaller caps end and just finding a few nuggets of gold. And that strategy works very, very well. Um, if you don't get too many of them wrong. So that's what it's all about, I think, with small caps. And there's just so much value on a plate now, and we're getting all these takeover bids, which proves that it's all cheap. So I think we need to just keep our nerve, and, uh, well, you can do whatever you like, but this is certainly my view. When there's there's value on the floor and everyone's utterly 
um, dispirited and fed up and giving up, that's when you're at or near a market low. I've seen this before on in several previous bear markets because I've been you know I've been doing this for 25 years, 20 uh, 21 um, years full time. So um, I've seen a lot of this, this stuff before, and it's the same every time. The 20 uh, the, I remember the, the tech boom that peaked in March t- uh, 2000. And what happened after that was it it wasn't really obvious it was a bear market for quite some time. You got huge rallies and then further plunges. And it didn't finally bottom out till about, I think it was about October 2002. Then you had the second Iraq war rumbling away. And when that finally kicked off in March 2003, it did a sort of a retest of the low. So from peak to, to trough, that bear market was almost three years Although uh, uh, the first, the initial low happened about two and a half years into it. So if you if you contrast that with what we're seeing at the moment, we're about two years and two months into this bear market for small caps. So I would say that says to me we're probably at or near um, the end of it. Near as in maybe another three to six months possibly. But I think the the end of the bear market could be sooner than that because you've just got all this value and you've got all these takeover bids. Um, So, yeah, central banks, what was that? Yeah, I know, I just made the point on that, you know, you can follow all the nuances of their of their announcements if you want. I don't. I just tend to look higher level on it and think we're probably at or near the height of the interest rate cycle. I don't think the damage has been uh, fully shown yet. I mean, you know, even the central banks themselves are saying that the full effect of these rate rises has has not been felt yet. So, you know, there could well be, I think, further collapses of highly geared companies and uh, property sector looks looks wobbly bonds is wobbly the lots lots and lots of uncrystallized losses uh, huge you know billions or trillions of 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 mark to market losses have happened well who who's got those losses and okay they're going to run the bonds to maturity that's fine unless they become a forced seller of course as happened with silicon valley bank so i wouldn't be surprised if we get another wave of pressure within the banking and property sectors so we've got all that to look forward to but the regulators seem to be nailing it don't they this time around they know what to do so contagion hasn't happened and you know uh, let's give them credit where credit's due they've not let the situation escalate out of control like it did in 2008 um they know what they're doing this time around so i think that's quite encouraging we do seem to be able to take these shocks um in our stride without contagion because they move really fast don't they often over the weekend to get deals done so that's quite encouraging i think and then here i've just made a facetious point in a way saying bear markets and tough macro make you realize how crap so many listed companies actually are particularly at the smaller caps end you know once the tide's gone out on their on their um on their earnings and so on you look at them and you think god you know why would I even think of investing in probably most of the small caps listed in the UK? So I think, again, this is all about stock picking. It's not, for me, holding a portfolio of 30, 40, 50 companies like I used to do. I want to home in on maybe the five or ten that are really special in terms of growth and or value. And I think I think doing that is, it's, well, it, as I've proved from the figures this year, that strategy does work. 
So for me, and a lot of the best investors I know are highly selective, and they say no to almost any stock idea that you pitch to them over a you know a lazy lunch. They just you know ask a few key questions, and they say nah, not interested. And these guys are wealthy and and consistently successful. The guys who take that approach. So I think elimination of almost all the ideas you look at, and just not buying into anything that may be quite good. Um, but why would you buy it when there's stuff that's very good and too excellent out there? I think it's all about homing in on the best ideas, and that's not story stocks. It's companies, uh, you know, that, that that are decent quality, good organic growth, sound balance sheets that won't need to refinance. Actually, let me come on to that point. Another key point that, again, I'm always reinforcing, but we've really had a, um, a, a reminder of it this week and last week from... Um, Surface Transforms, SCE, uh, nice company, but they run out of cash again. You can't do that in a bear market. Same with Polarian Imaging. Imaging, have you seen what that's down to? It's about 6 or 7p. Again, they missed the boat. They should have raised funding when when they could, and they didn't. And this is just a recurring problem with smaller UK-listed companies. They, they don't get themselves properly financed when the money is available. And, and when the window slams shut... You know, your equity could end, could easily end up worthless at both of those companies. I think uh, Surface Transforms looks a very interesting company. Management have really screwed things up, though. Um, I heard from one investor who said, you know, the chairman was bigging the company up, saying we'll be able to get through um, without a fundraise and everything, and he's been proven wrong. So sounds like he needs to go. Um, anyway, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait for those companies to refinance because the, 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 the fresh investors just name their price, don't they? And then I'll look at them again once they're refinanced. Why stand in the way of the, of the dilution juggernaut when it's coming your way? We small investors can get out of the way, and that's a key advantage for us where the small-cap fund managers can't. You know, um, <clears throat> Downing put out a, a thing this week. They're winding down one of their small investment trusts. And you look at some of the stuff in that portfolio and you think, why on earth are they still holding that? Well, of course, it's because they can't sell. That's the thing. So they're left high and dry with their mistakes. Whereas we, as smaller investors, we can get in and if we don't like anything about it, we just hit a button and get out. Okay, you might have to hit the button seven or eight times in small tranches to, to exit a position, but we've got that key advantage that we can we can sell our mistakes the trick i think and this is memo to self is is identifying what which ones are the mistakes um and 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 just being brutal because you can always buy them back can't you this is the thing oh yeah a pr- press articles con- confirming what i mentioned last week in paul um hill and justin's podcast they flagged up that the inflation figures are about a, a huge drop a, a figure from last year is about to drop out annualized and the press have picked up on that as well i think there's an article in the times today saying that the next inflation print for the uk which is going to be announced next week this week coming week is uh, expecting inflation to drop from seven, 6.7% to 4.8%, which is really good, isn't it? So it's moving in the right direction. We clearly don't need any additional action by central banks. Let's hope they overcook it and end up having to do some quick rate cuts. So you never know, actually, us going into a recession could be a blessing in disguise. And there's lots of companies laying off people now. And of course, if you make a round of redundancies, one of my form, one of my friends who's a former FD as well, he said, you know, you, you when you do a round of cuts, you cut the people who you just kind of tolerated, who were not really adding much value to the business. But, you know, you didn't want to create a scene and 
and and and put all the other employees on on edge who might then leave but you know once you get into more difficult macro times and you have to start cutting you can kind of get rid of the horrible words but dead wood you know you can probably get rid of most companies could probably get rid of 10% of their workforce and leave their operational capacity largely intact and also it means the other 90% won't be demanding pay rises will they so you get i think i think we'll probably almost certainly see um, significant moderation in employment um, costs, which of obviously then helps bring the day of day of lower interest rates nearer, doesn't it? Oh, I, I didn't get take a. I didn't have time to look at Marks and Spencers, but it's clearly finally got its act together. As usual, I predicted the turnaround way too early, years too early. I remember doing a presentation about M&S saying things were starting to come together. Uh, oh, God knows how many years ago, three, four years ago or something like that. So that's great to see M&S finally getting its act together. Next, of course, just never puts a foot wrong, which got me thinking, you know, if you can, if you can buy these larger uh, retail operations, which are now performing well... Why bother with all the uh, also-rans? I'm thinking particularly here of the works, which put its numbers out this week. You know, just about hanging on to break even. What's the point? Why do we look at these small, struggling little businesses that struggle to make any profit at all, even in the good years? It's a waste of time. And they're cheap, and they're cheap for a reason. I think it's better to focus on the, the quality operators who are doing well. Now, uh, Plexus, I should uh, mention, I did start writing up a piece of this, obviously by far my biggest personal holding. Uh, There was a strong rebound this week, so that was very nice. Bottomed out at 15p last week, and it ended this week at 20p, so that was a good uplift. I think it was oversold in the short term, and I was filling my boots last week at 15p, so that's that's turned out um, very, very pleasing. Now, it, I did start writing a piece for Stockopedia, but I got bogged down in it and had to move on, so I didn't publish that. But I was basically just going to say that this hundred another contract winner, only 175 grand, but it's a, these rental contracts are high margin. They're about 60% margin. And it's all about the plug and... Well, not all about. It's partly about the plug and abandonment, uh, particularly in the North Sea, which I've been researching on the North Sea Transition Authority's website, which is very interesting. Now, much to my surprise... I thought they were all going down the green route. The route, the North Sea Transition Authority is actively pushing for more exploration because they're saying it's now focused on energy security, uh, which I'm very pleased to see because this idea that you stop drilling in the North Sea and you just let all the fields run out because it's it's for production's forecast to drop by half. Um, over the next seven years because the fields are mature. The idea that you don't replace that and you then import liquefied and uh, a natural gas um, from halfway around the world, the carbon footprint of bringing in that liquefied natural gas is far, far worse than using our own infrastructure and our own oil, uh, gas. Um, which obviously, I'm mainly talking about the gas here, not the oil, which is different grades and a lot of that's exported, I believe. But the gas goes into the pipelines that heats our homes and heats our hot water. And to give us time to uh, to build the battery storage to be able to store the renewables energy. So it's all part of a transition, and it's very very good for Plexus. What um, they've got, they've got two bites of the cherry again now in the North Sea from the plug and abandonment space where they're winning contracts. So that proves what management said is true, uh, which I'm very pleased about. And um, also they've got a good. Uh, They've got a good chance to get some nice contracts on the fresh, uh, the new oil drilling as well. Plus the Schlumberger deal. This is the interesting bit. 
Now, that is, we, we, we haven't got any firm news on the launch of that yet, but look out for Plexus's results um, for June 2023. The figures will be, will be rubbish, we know that. The forecast is a 4.5 million loss. doesn't matter because that predates the, the big contract win, which goes into the current financial year, and all eyes are going to be on what they say about the Schlumberger uh, licensing deal, which is for global, low-cost, um, leak-free uh, oil and gas wellheads all manufactured and marketed by Schlumberger, and Plexus will be getting a new um, revenue royalty stream between 3 and 6%. That's the exciting bit about this share. Um, so speculative, but I'm very, very excited about it, and we'll just see what happens. And I accept the volatility. The share price goes all over the place. It doesn't matter because the people buying and selling don't know what they're doing, are not experts at all, in my view. It's just small traders buying and selling, buying and selling, you know, zigzag, zigzag. It doesn't matter. It's the it's the bigger picture beyond that that's all that matters to me. Oh, I haven't done any companies yet, and we're twenty one minutes in. Bring back earnings yields. This is my next point. It's so much more useful than the PE ratio. So you invert it. So uh, a PE of twenty, you just do one divided by twenty, and you get five percent earnings yield. It's it's brilliant. It's much much better because you can compare it with interest rates. You can p- compare it with the yields on bonds and on cash and all the rest of it so i think we should abandon the p ratio and go back to earnings yield it's much much better never should have been changed in the first place because everyone investors used earnings yield in the 1970s and 80s i think and um oh controlling our own inflation rate yeah this got me thinking i was mystery shopping weatherspoons and revolution bars this week and i'm paying much less for my beer now than i was in the past i was paying five to six pounds a pint um, this time last year, I'm now paying two pound fifty for Amstel in Revolution bars, and I'm paying two pound seventy five, I think it is, for Bud Light in my local Weatherspoons. So my personal inflation rate on beer is about minus fifty percent, which obviously doesn't go into the official data, does it? So, but we've all probably found ways of tweaking our our spending. Same with the same with the with the supermarket. If anything, I'm spending less now. There, I've noticed that prices have come down on some products, and I just cherry pick the special offers and you know adapt my basket to whatever I uh, whatever I think's best value for money. So I think the actual published inflation figures are overstating inflation, which is a bit of a contrary opinion because households adapt and flex and seek out bargains. And we force retailers to discount because we won't pay for things if they put the prices up too much. And you'll notice that in the supermarket, things that you thought, ah, they're taking them, what's it, asking £5 for that pizza. Well, funnily enough, the next week it'll be two for two for one, won't it, or something like that. Then you buy them, you buy the special offers. So we, the public, the people spending the money, we can drive down inflation by just being canny on uh, on on how we spend our money and rewarding companies that lower prices and you see the works in their figures they made this point they said they're having to discount much more than they wanted to uh, to get people to spend well that's brilliant because it's exactly that type of activity by consumers that is bringing down inflation and as i say i think the published um, inflation data is probably actually overstating inflation for um, individual households and it'll vary from one household to another won't it we're not passive price takers we actively shop and we seek out the uh, the best bargains so that's how we'll get inflation down isn't it
Right, on to some companies. I do like rambling, don't I? Why not? It's only once a week. Monday, 6th of November, 2023, small small cap value report. Uh, wasn't really much of interest here. The only one I, th- I liked was uh, Kitwave, K-I-T-W. This one um, is, uh, they announced the founder, CEO, is finally hanging up his boots uh, he's run the company for 36 years, so we shouldn't begrudge that, should we? Anyway, a good trading update, strong earnings growth in line, and it reassures on other points too. I thought this was a nice update from Kitwave. It's a wholesaler of uh, fast-moving um, fresh and frozen food, I think, and stuff like that. And it's been growing by bolt-on acquisitions of businesses that they know and the sector they know. So they're just and they're sort of doing geographic infill with wholesalers from particular areas. Nice strategy, very well run. Uh, I, I like it. Thumbs up for that one from me. There was some. I, I mentioned this. There was some flurry of concern about director selling previously, but I'm over that. I think. You know, there's been a this good update for financial year October 2023 has brought Kit, Kitwave back onto my potential buy list. I think it's a good business. Graham looked at Gulf Marine Services GMS. This, uh, if you remember, I flagged this a few years ago actually when it was about three or four p. Uh, very a special situation, highly geared, or maybe it was five, four or five p. Can't remember. But anyway, it operates heavy duty uh, specialist ships for the oil and gas sector and it's now and it was really highly geared looked like it might even go bust but very cash generative anyway it's worked out nicely they've they're up to about 13p now i took my eye off the ball and stopped covering it a while back which is pity because it, again i was early on the turnaround um, but the turnaround has happened and people who who held that have, have done well so anyway graham reviewed it support vessels here we are yes for oil gas and renewable sector ebitda at the top end or perhaps slightly above previous range. Still got a lot of debt, but it's a lot safer than it was before. So that's improved considerably. Another quirky little thing Graham looked at was the Anglo-Eastern Plantations, which I've never heard of, AEP. It's a 272 million market cap um, producer of palm oil in Indonesia and Malaysia. Now, normally I wouldn't touch things like this, but there are actually, I think there's about three of them. There's another one called MP Evans, and can't remember the third one but these agricultural overseas things are all quite well established paying dividends i wouldn't normally invest in uk uk listed overseas companies but we think this one looks looks quite quite interesting actually might be a sector that's worth considering but you obviously get the volatility of the price of the agricultural products don't you maybe some overseas political stroke economic risk or just risk that you you know i wouldn't know anything about Indonesia or Malaysia in terms of their, you know, in terms of the things you take for granted, like knowing how the UK tax system works and the political picture and so on. So it, it's got to be seen as higher risk investing overseas because of that knowledge gap, not, not, not necessarily because the companies, the countries themselves are riskier. And of course, we get a, a ton of fraud in the UK from UK listed, from UK operating companies, don't we? Frauds and semi-frauds. So we can't sort of claim to be uh, whiter than white here by any means, unfortunately.
Oh, and then in fact, we've had two more nano caps announcing they're going to delist, which is great. We need a, a big clear out. Let's get rid of all these tiny rubbish dis uh, failed companies. Something called Microsaic says it's going to delist, and Tintra is also intending to delist and has a tender offer underway. So I think that's great. It's just less uh, less less clutter um, to to get bogged down in. Let's have a few more, maybe a couple of hundred more things need to delist, and I'll be happy. Right, on to Tuesday's report. This is the 7th of November 2023. Um, I did the late shift here, so I, I covered three companies, but I published it the following day. Uh, that was Zope Foam's actual experience in Naked Wines. So, but Graham just published two sections on the day. Thanks for holding the fort, Graham. He looked at Metro Bank, where he's Amber. I'm not so keen on that one. And uh, but it survived. That's the best you can say, isn't it? Really, uh, terrible risk reward um, investment when it got into trouble. But it has got, it has survived. But the share price is pretty much where it was before. So people took all that risk for no reward. So a very bad. Uh, I've mentioned that before, so I won't dwell on it. So then Luceco, uh, L U C E. Now this put out a Q3 trading update. Uh, Graham looks as if he's moderately. Moderately positive on that one, which I think I haven't looked at it recently, but I'm, I'm that's my general feel on this as well. It's an electrical and lighting components group, owner managed, um, did brilliantly in the pandemic, but then it all came crashing back down again. It's only about one pound five now. Might be worth worth a fresh look at that level, but I don't think there's huge upside on that, other than just a general re-rating that will probably get on pretty much everything uh, that's half decent in the next bull market. Oh, I won't have time to talk about the reader comments, but we've had some fantastic reader comments this week. Thanks to everybody, particularly some really, really great insights into the gambling industry and how these betting companies are really highly exploitative, you know, and doing a, a huge amount of social harm. I think this is absolutely right, you know, because I've had a couple, I might have mentioned this before, I've had a couple of close friends in the last few months confide in me that they've had gambling addictions and have lost serious amounts of money. Um, I know that's rich coming from me, given that I lost £2 million spread betting last year. <laughs> so, uh, but, um, you know, I've learnt my lesson from it and closed the accounts. So, um, but, um, you know, I just basically gave them both a lecture on odds and said, well, why on earth are you doing it when you know the odds are against you? It's absolutely mindless. But um, I think they were expecting a, a more sympathetic ear. But I thought, well, sod it. What, what's it going to do? Said, oh, poor you. Never mind. Just tell them the mathematics. Look, you're a mug. You're a lamb to the slaughter. You're, why would you bet on a game where the odds, you know the odds are against you? Just because there are flashing lights and dancing ladies, you know, you're a mug. Stop being a mug. But uh, anyway, look, I think we mentioned this before. But it certainly put me off making any hearing the reader experiences on this that were posted this week in the stockopedia small cap value reports which is like a vortex for discussion people are saying why are you discussing large caps here well look as far as i'm concerned i like being the uh, sort of chairman for a group discussion on anything that's relevant to the stock market bring it on um what was I on about? Oh, yes, the betting company's comments I thought were excellent. Thanks to the readers there. Now, on to Wednesday, 8th of November. This one, I first covered J.D. Weatherspoon. Yes, the pubs group. Now, I think this is... I've, I've only marked it amber, you know, the trading update, because I think the shares are priced about right. But as I've... Um, 
thought about it since Wednesday's report, I've decided I really do want some JDW shares in my portfolio. And I'll tell you for why, because I've been mystery shopping it. I thought, well, okay, it's fine writing about the shares. Let's go. And there's only one or two sites in, in Bournemouth, but let, let's try them out. I've been there, been there before and always been a bit sniffy about it, thinking, oh, you know, uh, I, I'd rather go somewhere else, but because, you know, a nicer type of people elsewhere. But actually, it's not true. I've been mystery shopping Weatherspoons, had some lovely food there. The fish and chips was gorgeous. Uh, then I, it was curry night on Thursday, so I, afternoon, so I went down and had a chicken curry with a pint. Cost ten pounds, and it's a nice, you know, good sized uh, meal, tasty, hot food, and with a pint of Stella, all for a tenner. The value's stunning, and unsurprisingly, they're just busy all day, and it's it's ramming the people through, ramming the volume through at low mar- lower margins, and you compare that with Revolution Bars, which is on my way home. I pop in there, and sometimes I have the place to myself. It's a big, empty bar, and they survive on the Friday and Saturday night business. Um, young lads and girls are out on the pool, basically, um, and they'll pay silly money to, to show off and buy a bottle of champagne in front of uh, a group of girls they want to impress, I suppose, that sort of thing. Um, and they have live music DJs and everything. So, so But the rest of the time, the bars are empty. So it seems to me the only option for Revolution Bars is probably for it to be put into administration and for a new operator to come in with a better format that actually gets the sites busy all day and as well as in the evenings. They need a two-tier approach. It needs to be a Weatherspoons during the day rammed with cheap drinks and, and nice cheap food and then sort of turn the lighting down kick everyone out at seven o'clock or whatever and turn it into a nightclub and make the high margins on just on friday and saturday nights and maybe on wednesday for the students but the students do a lot of damage seems to me revolutions format really i think it's time has has has, uh, has, has run out so uh, I've dumped, I only had a tiny remaining scrap of, of Revolution Bars. I've got rid of those. So anyway, so Weatherspoons is the way forward, I think. So I need to get some of those shares. So it's, But I'm not going to pay £6.76. I want it at £6 or less. So that's going on my, on my wish list. Uh, what else? Reach. Graham looked at Reach, the Trinity Mirror um, and others publishing group. Uh, cost reduction programme they've announced. Very, very low PE of this one, of course. But you have got the potential upside on the digital marketing side. I know that was touted before, but one of the readers said something interesting. I haven't verified this, but he reckons um, when cookies are banned in about seven or eight months, I believe, he thinks that could mean a, a surge of advertising for reach on their digital side because they know their own customers, uh, uh, which... which um, other advertisers use cookie won't be able to use cookies anymore to find it to target ads. So that I thought was an interesting interesting perspective. Might be worth having a look at Reach RCH seventy eight p E Energy. I had a look at. Oh, this was complicated. I'm not going to dwell on this. E A A S. It looked in real well. It still is in quite quite big financial trouble. Anyway, Luceco that I just mentioned before coincidentally has decided to subscribe for 1.7 I think million of fresh equity but it looks like that's in order to get paid because it's a supplier to e-energy but also e-energy said it's had approaches um, to sell its main division for around up to or above I think it said 30 million pounds 
which is uh, 50% more than its group market cap. So that's quite an interesting um, development there. <clears throat> Personally, I wouldn't want to gamble on that because, um, you know, we've only got their word for it on these deals. We haven't actually seen the colour of anybody's money yet. And it is in financial trouble still. Uh, Graham looked at Secure Trust Bank, STB. That looks very interesting. Uh, very, very low PE. Um, he, Graham says he, he doesn't see any sign of imminent collapse. I can't avoid a positive stance on this stock. So it's a specialist lender, I think, Secure Trust Bank. Quite a lot of the readers have been talking about that one as well. Uh, and finally, I looked at Naked Wines. I've been read on this all year, saying that uh, we looked at it previously three times, so this is now four times. It's really in trouble, this one. However, now it's got down to 21 million market cap. I think for a risky, you know, for those of you who are prepared to take on risky trades where, you know, you could it could be 100 percent loss. But I do think um, given the strength of the balance sheet, uh, it could be viewed as a risky special situation, risky possible recovery trade. I am tempted around 21 million market cap just for, you know, a a tiny element way below one percent of my portfolio just for fun, really. Um, but fundamentally, I think the business is in real trouble. Um, they've got to reduce those inventories. I think there's more bad news on the way. And the CEO's been pushed out. The founder has moved to, is taking it over now, Rowan Gormley. I wish him luck. I hope he manages to turn it around. But they've got big problems at Naked Wines. That's why it's only valued at £21 million. Right, on to Thursday's report. We covered a lot on Thursday. This is 9th of November. Profit warning from S4 Capital. I think it's the third profit warning this year. This is Sir Martin's, Martin Sorrell's rapidly unravelling um, digital marketing group. He's made a right hash of this. You know, it often seems to be the case, doesn't it, when you get a star manager who's done something brilliant in the past and starts a new venture on a, on a rampant rating. Everybody thinks it's going to be a, a multi-billion success. And very often they don't work out, you know. And I, I, I'm not just being wise after the event here because we've been uh, read on S4 Capital for quite some time. Um, it just seems to be a complete mess. I think he's expanded it far too quickly, taken on far too much debt, although he's saying, you know, the covenants were okay, read the covenants and so on. But it is another profit warning. It's got a horrible balance sheet. Um, uh, I think the profits are suspect because it all relies on adjustments to get to profits. There's no actual genuine cash flow, in my view. And I I remain highly sceptical on that. It's a mess. We bid a tearful goodbye to actual experience, ACT. This is uh, floated nearly about nine years ago. I remember it well. It was the next great big thing that was going to be a monster success, and it's been a dismal failure. So anyway, that's the end of that one. Argentex, now very interesting this one, AGFX. The CEO, if you remember, resigned abruptly on 26th of October, and the shares dropped 22%. Well, now the CFO has resigned abruptly as well. Um... So the shares dropped another 18% to 65p. I did actually buy a few on the opening bell because I took the view... Oh, no, sorry, that was on Friday. Because I took the view that we finally it came out with a profit warning on Friday, but I'm jumping ahead. So um, anyway, that shares basically halved from the recent peak and the profit warning that did come out on Friday at long last wasn't actually that bad. So I think that did look a bit oversold. So I grabbed a few with fun money on the opening bell and made a 10% turn, sold them... um, uh, near the close of the day, so that was quite nice. It was only five hundred quid profit, but look, you know, if you see an opportunity to have a bit of fun and to make a few hundred quid, why not? Um, 
you know, you don't have to stick. I take the view I don't have to stick rigidly to any one ethos. If I see if I see something that looks an interesting possible trade, I'll do it. Do I make money overall doing these trades? No. <laughs> In a word, I don't think I do. I think it averages off to about break even over a full year when I, I tested it one year in a in a in an I, old IG account that I don't use anymore. Yeah, and it was it was and I thought, why am I doing it? It was something like thirteen hundred trades of the year. And it washed it, it basically added up to zero. But I enjoyed it. That's why I did them. So it's not just about making money, is it? It's uh if you enjoy the process then, you know, why not just enjoy it as well? Now, oh, here we are, Hollywood actor strike. The BBC reported on Thursday that that looked as if a tentative deal had been reached. Very, very good, as I mentioned before, for Zoo Digital. That's that's almost doubled in the last few weeks. Brilliant. I'm not convinced by that one. Now, another one that bounced was Facilities by ADF, which we quite like. That went up 13%. And Videndum, that went up 14%. But they've still got financial problems, so I wouldn't touch Videndum at this stage. And then the works, I've already commented on H1 trading at date, a big profit warning. Again, uh, it's basically only going to be, it's only trading a whisker of break even the works is. I wouldn't waste your time. It's just not a very good business. Very marginal business. Um, I don't really see why it exists. Uh, PCI PAL um, results for June 2023 came out. Now, I'm mod- moderately positive on this, amber green. And I, I weigh up the bull and bear points in, in a bullet point list in Thursday's report. So have a look at uh, Thursday's report if you're interested. Right, on to Friday's report. Uh, this was, uh, sorry, this was when Argentex, AGFX, one of the listed foreign exchange groups, this is when it put out its profit warning, widely expected. It opened only very slightly down and I think ended the day slightly up. So, um, you know, the new bad news was pretty much all in the price and the announcement wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So uh, that one could be quite interesting. What else? Ah, oh, this this is going to be the mystery share. Uh, it's one of our old favourites that's been mystery share about twice before. Let me just not write down what it is. So this is, uh, I'm green on it in Friday's report. And let's have two mystery shares, actually. So I'm green, green on another share in Friday's report also. So basically, just to see what the mystery shares are, just look at Friday's report, 10th of November, find the sections written by me, Paul, where I'm green on them. Those two are both... Excellent companies, reasonably priced, I think, so for Stockopedia readers only. And then finally, I looked at Smith's News, SNWS. This one um, is obviously the distributor of newspaper and magazines. Uh, I've got amber green on this. I think obviously it's a value share. It's a cigar butt share where, you know, we know the business is slowly dying, but it's taking a hell of a long time to slowly die. And they're doing all sorts of bits and bobs to keep it not only propped up, but actually doing rather well. All the legacy problems are dealt with. I think it's actually quite good, this one. And you're getting a, what was it, was it 8 or 9% dividend yield? And the scope for that to raise to about 12% once they've removed... um, the restrictions that the bank uh, currently have over it. Got to give them a mention as well from, from not just mentioning year-end net debt, but they've they've shown in the big highlights box average daily uh, net debt. It didn't say daily, but I'm assuming it was daily. Average net debt. All companies should be giving us this. Snapshots of net debt on a, on a year-end balance sheet date or an interim balance sheet date, that's on one day. It's meaningless because the working capital inflows and outflows vary so much 
that you can quite easily have a company reporting net cash at the year end that's jammed up against its overdraft limit the rest of the year. I know, because that's how I used to produce the accounts when I was an FD. <laughs> Seriously, we were jammed up against our overdraft limit for 364 days of the year, apart from the year end date when we showed net cash. All I did was I, give, I gave all the suppliers post-dated checks dated for a few days after the year end. Nothing wrong with it, perfectly legal. Anyone looking at the accounts would have, uh, well, nobody did, but they should have picked up on the fact that trade creditors were too high. So again, that's why you check your trade creditors number to see if they're window dressing their cash for the year end. And plenty of companies do. It'd be silly not to window dress your year end accounts, although I perhaps took it to to extremes. Uh, But the auditors never questioned it. I just said, look, you know, we have a big payment run uh, in the week after the year end, because I want to, I want to show a net cash figure. Yeah, fine, no problem. Uh, this is why um, net debt figures and, by implication, enterprise value are such dodgy numbers. You should be. We need to really campaign hard to get companies to disclose their average daily uh, net debt. Not, uh, and you would exclude weekends from that, wouldn't you? It would be average. You'd work it out over two hundred and sixty working days each year. And you want the average net debt figure over that period, because that tells you the true picture of the company's finances. And they should also give the average and the year high and the year low, so that you can see the full range of what the net debt and net cash are. And often then it becomes clear why they need an overdraft facility, because there's the seasonality to take into account too. So I really do want to see reporting standards improved. It's a massive gap in the current rules that we're not told uh, average daily net debt or net cash. And well done to Smith's News that does that. Another company I can think of that does that as well is Headlam. Uh, It's best practice. This is the gold standard, and we want to get all companies reporting average daily net cash and net net debt in future, please. I think that's it. yeah, sorry for the rambling bit at the beginning. There's a few things we didn't cover, but I think we covered pretty much all the ones we wanted to cover this week. So thanks, as, as, as always, for all your brilliant comments and all your support. Very much appreciated. And I'll speak to you again next week. Bye for now. Bye.